Pastor Mike, and it's an honor to be here with my friend, Kay. Kay, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself? Well, I'm Kay, and um, I've been at Overlake for 48 years. Um, you know, Kay, one of the things that I want to make sure that you know is that I am so thankful for the way that you and Mel have invested your lives and your ministry at Overlake Christian Church. And I know that's looked different in different seasons, but I just want to tell you that I absolutely believe that Overlake is a great church, and it wouldn't be if it wasn't for the investment of saints like you and Mel. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. It, it's really been, uh, I guess one would say a pleasure. Yeah. It's, it's been a, quite a journey, but yeah. uh, it, it's been like, like home and like our family that we would... Uh, we would take care of and we would be, uh, right. this is what we would do. Yeah. Okay, tell us, what is the Million Dollar Sunday? What what was that? Well, we were in hopes that, that we could raise a million dollars to develop the campus there at Rose Hill. And the idea was that you were going to raise that much money on a single Sunday? On one Sunday. Wow. Well, it also was very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And whenever the leadership came and presented to us, they wanted to do this. Yeah. And uh, for a million dollars. Yeah. Um, it was all, it was breathtaking. Mm -hmm. it really was. You know, how do we do that? Right. But um, we had a lot of teaching on trusting God and giving sacrificially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what that how that can change one's life. What was your participation in that? Well, we, we had um, an investment in some property mm -hmm. up around Bellingham, and we knew that that was really the only thing that we had mm. that we could give. Wow. And we gave it. So it was sold, and everything went to the, to the Million Dollar Sunday. Kay, you're incredible. <laughs> That's awesome. And what a beautiful gift. What... What words of encouragement would you have for Overlake as we head into the next 50 years? Well, I think it's going to be very exciting. Yeah. When I look back on, on this first 50 yeah. and how the Lord has always been there and brought things through, yeah. and we have so many exciting things um, that, the, that the church is involved in right now. One thing about Overlake is the realization that God has, is here. And he has been here the whole time, yeah. from from the very beginning, mm -hmm. through all the um, exciting times, uh, the the struggle times, yeah. and the growing times. He's yeah. always been here, and he will continue to be here. Yeah. We just need to be lifting him up, trusting right. him, and mm -hmm. listening to him for direction. Amen. And um, so that we know he knows we love him and we care. That's right. Yeah. Kay is an amazing saint. She was actually in our first service, uh, and uh, we got a chance to honor her. But right now, she's actually in our Bible study class, which is, they meet directly behind these walls right here. So can we just honor Kay and cheer her on and help her hear that right now? We love you, Kay. <laughs> That's right. 
That's right. You know, you, I know we talked about this before, but every single one of us, if, if we are a part of this faith journey with Jesus, we are here because somebody has been faithful before us. And we always stand on the shoulders of the saints that have gone before and have served and have given and have sacrificed and have shared. And that's why we are in this faith journey today. So very, very excited uh, to be in this thing called Jubilee right now. And next week, we'll actually have a very special Sunday celebration, and so please plan on coming back, and please, if you, if you would, invite, it, you know, friends, family members, even neighbors that you know who have been at Overlake at different seasons of life, uh, it would just, it's just going to be such a beautiful celebration of, of not only how God has carried us through good times and bad times for 50 years, but it's going to be a time for us to look forward and to anticipate all of the good things that God has yet in store for us. So please, please, uh, that's next Sunday. Right now, what I want you to do is just kind of cast your mind back 50 years. And for some of you, that's just imagination. You're not 50, right? Like, you know, so you're just imagining. But in 1968, just let me run through. These are the movies that were huge in 1968. The Love Bug, huge, right? Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I don't, I don't know what it was with cars that were alive, but th those were big, big movies. Uh, Hang Em High, a Western. Romeo and Juliet, right? That was, you know, global. Planet of the Apes, right? Some of you didn't even know that was a remake. Um, the Odd Couple was a, was a big one. Uh, and then 2001, A Space Odyssey. Now, here's what I want, just because I know sort of our demographic. Raise your hand if you have seen none of those movies. If you've seen zero, God bless you. I see, God bless you. God bless, I see that hand. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's just crazy, kind of this new sort of era that we're in. And, and, uh, but but I, I want to tell you that it's, it's so exciting to get in and, and just to, to, there are no real finish lines in ministry. There's really no, like, like, finish lines to cross. And so it's so wonderful to use this season to say thank you, Jesus, right, for these last 50 years. Because 50 years ago, in this month of September, a handful of followers of Jesus Christ got together and they said, we want to be on, on a movement. We want to follow Jesus excitingly and, and you know, we want to be obedient to him and, and we want to see if we can't help others find and follow Jesus. And it's a movement that, that began in 1968 and we are all a part of that movement today. And so really, really excited to, to celebrate that next Sunday. Last week, we started by talking about God's gift of pause and the four levels that he has given his people to enjoy pause. And it, 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 just real quick recap, they were Selah, which was like a momentary pause, and then Sabbath, which was a weekly pause, Sabbath year, which was a whole year of pause, and then Jubilee, which was on the 50th year. It was this massive year-long liberation celebration, and, uh, and so that's what we talked about, God's gift, because his heart is is that his people are refreshed and restored. So, so those, even though they, they, they came as a part of the law, they were really gifts that he was giving to his children. Well, today I want to talk about a similar thing. Again, this is God's gift to his people in celebration. And we're going to talk about seven of the feasts that he gave to ancient Israel. And, and so I kind of think about that and, and even think about kind of how that looks in terms of today's yearly calendar. Right? You think about how the calendar goes in, in America today, and you recognize that there are these holidays. By the way, you need to know that holiday actually comes from the concept of holy days. 
And, and so we have these holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter, and it just kind of goes around the calendar year. And as I was sitting around with my creative team, we were talking about this concept. We started talking about, you know, good food and good friends and, and these moments where God just kind of blesses us to gather together. And, and we started talking about sort of the deliciousness of, like, Thanksgiving. That was a part of our conversation. I love, you know, Thanksgiving, so we were talking about that. And, and then spontaneously, we just started talking about food that we really enjoy having and the fun that we enjoy having around food. And it turned out that everyone in our, in our creative team really likes pokey. So we started talking about how good pokey is. Raise your hand if you know pokey. Anybody know? Yeah, it's like sushi's second cousin. And, um, and, and we love it. And there's this place in Redmond I just discovered. It's called Hello, Pokey Hello. And uh, I love it so much. I told them, you know, I'm going to keep you in business. So if you like pokey, check it out. And by the way, just so you know, if I ever open a pokey restaurant, I know what it's going to be called. You know what it's going to be called. It's going to be called The Hokey Pokey. <laughs> That's what it's all about, guys. So uh, that's for free. Okay, so grab your notes here. Uh, I want to jump into seven feasts that God's given his people to celebrate. And, and there's a reason. He wants us to be joy-filled. He wants us to know the meaning behind these things. The first is Passover. And the Passover feast celebrates deliverance. The Passover feast celebrates deliverance. And, and this is found in Exodus 12, 1 through 4, Leviticus 23, verse 5. What they did was they celebrated by slaying and, and preparing and eating a lamb in order to remember Israel's deliverance from death. You might remember the 10th plague that was visited upon Egypt because Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go. And this was the way in which the, uh, God delivered his children from that plague, from death and for new life. So that was Passover, signifying deliverance. And in the New Testament, Jesus celebrates the Passover on the night uh, that he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified. Some of you uh, already remember that. So that's Passover. The next, if you're filling the blanks, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this celebrates sanctification. The sanctification of God's own people. This is in Exodus 12, verses 15 through 20. And if the Passover sacrifice would be prepared into a meal to be enjoyed on Passover, then immediately following Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it lasted for seven additional days. Eight days if you counted Passover. And what they would do is eating bread with yeast in it was forbidden. And the reason is because yeast was symbolic of sin. And what they were doing was symbolizing the sanctification of God calling his own people to himself to be a holy and a set apart people. And so you think unleavened bread. Some of you immediately your minds go to like, you know, tastelessness. Or like, you know, pita chips or something where it's just hard and, you know, you just chip your tooth on it and it's like stale cardboard. I, I don't know what stale cardboard tastes like. I really don't. Um, I actually don't know what fresh cardboard tastes like either. So, but, but, you know, some of you, it's just not that exciting. You're like, you know what, Pastor? I prefer my bread with a little sin in it, you know, and... Um, 
I get it, I get it. But here, here's what I want you to think about. Think about, instead of that, think about, you know, flatbreads that are prepared really, really well. And think about, you know, delicious olive oils and then hummus, all kinds of hummus. And for those of you who've been to Israel or you've been over to the, those uh, Mediterranean countries, you realize, oh, there actually is so much deliciousness that's being offered. And they would celebrate and they would feast for seven days straight. And, and one of the things that you need to keep in mind during Jesus' time with his disciples is he took these elements that would be celebrated at Passover and celebrated during this Feast of Unleavened Bread, right, the wine and the bread, and he repurposed them, right? He repurposed them, and so the shift was from focusing on a spotless lamb that was sacrificed, now the shift is to Jesus, as our spotless Lamb of God, sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. Okay, so you see these feasts, you see the significance underneath. The next feast is the Feast of First Fruits, which embraces freedom. And specifically, it's the freedom of Israel, that they are no longer oppressed by Egypt, they're no longer enslaved by Egypt, but now they are free people, the free people of God. And we see this in Exodus 23, 19, Leviticus 23, 9 through 14. And of course, we know because of the new covenant we have with Jesus that that freedom is for us. That freedom is for us as God's people. In 2 Corinthians, we read, for the Lord is the spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is, say it with me, freedom. That's right. And that's why when Pastor Jessica leads us in that worship song, and it's just so powerful as we are all inviting the Holy Spirit in and, and recognizing his presence among us. Why is that so powerful? Because we're free, right? Because we're embracing the freedom that God has provided his sons and daughters. Okay, so that was the Feast of first fruits. The next feast is the Feast of Weeks. And this feast honors covenant. The covenant relationship of Yahweh with his chosen people, the Israelites. And covenant simply means special relationship. It means bond. It means vow together. It's as exclusive and deep as marriage covenant. And this was a, a festival of joy. You can read about it in Exodus 23.16 or Leviticus 23.15. And what they would do is they would recall the giving of the law to Moses at Sinai 50 days after the crossing of the Red Sea. So look back in their history, they remember when God brought his people across the Red Sea, 50 days after that, he gave the law to Moses on Sinai. And so they would celebrate this with great thanksgiving for God's blessing to them. Now, the word 50 has a, a, a translation in Greek, and how you translate it in Greek is with the word Pentecost. So you see now, and the, the idea of this actually, this feast was 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. So that's what it's 50 days after, so Pentecost after. But you know, if you're familiar with Acts chapter 2, that this was the day that the Lord in his wisdom decided to allow the Holy Spirit to descend upon his followers and everything changed, right? This was the birth of this beautiful movement of God. It says in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 
all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Friends, this was the day that the movement, the unstoppable force called the church began. And all of us are a part of that movement of God as it still plays itself out and still continues to fill and surround the earth and call people to God's heart. So that's what we are a part of today. The next feast is the Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets practices accountability. So let me talk real quick about trumpets and then we'll talk about accountability. Trumpets in Israel were actually uh, shofars, right? So that, that's the, the Hebrew uh, connotation is shofar. And I, and I say this because some of you, when you think about trumpets, the first thought that you have is like little noisemakers or little kazoos or, you know, little uh, like, like plastic horns that people have at like Sanders games, or like, you know, that kind of thing. In Israel, the, the trumpets, the shofars were actually horns, so ram's horns that were hollowed out. And, you know, um, they would come in and they would blow and it would be this high note that would just kind of echo and reverberate across the canyons or, or they would come in. Sometimes the shofars could achieve two or three different notes and, and so there would be this call and it would be this beautiful sound declaring the presence and the reign of God, right? So that's the shofar, that's the Feast of Trumpets. And during the Feast of Trumpets, the shofars would blow. Uh, next week, by the way, just so you're prepared, we'll have a moment where we celebrate and there will be shofars blown here, uh, just so you know. So for some of you, that'll be a shock and for others, you'll be like, finally, you know. Oh, Betty. Oh, Betty. Next week, next week. All right. Um, this is in Leviticus 23, 23 through 25, or Numbers 29, 7 through 11. And it, it, this feast would signify accountability before God, but also favor from God. The, it was called, and some of you are familiar, Rosh Hashanah. Okay? And so this idea of accountability, you might actually want to write down the word inspection uh, with accountability. Because really what Israel would do would be to present itself before the Lord. And, and it reminds me of when I was growing up, my dad was in the Marines. He was a serviceman uh, my whole young life and a career Marine. And, and so there were times when my dad would, he would tell the children, uh, okay, it's time for you to clean your room. That's your duty. Go clean your room. And so we would go and clean our room. And then afterwards, he would line us up for inspection. So he, he would inspect what he expected from us. And I don't know if you were like this as a kid, but for me, it was like, you know, I would shove toys under the bed, or I would just fill the closet and, like, slam the door shut. Or uh, even if I had clean clothes that my mom had, like, cleaned and folded and put on my dresser, I didn't want to put them away. I would just throw them in the hamper, you know, stuff like that. And, and it, you know, you never did it. I, I did. I'm honest in church. And so... Um, <laughs> So, so I would do those things, and then he would call us to stand for inspection. So we'd have to, like, stand there, back straight, you know, and, and he would come through, and, and he would flip a quarter on the bed, and, of course, my bed would never bounce the quarter, and, 
And, uh, but, but it was that recognition that there would be an inspection of what was expected from me. And I say all this because I hope you know that the, a part of our faith structure, we see this from scripture, is that accountability is a part of the story. That, that you and I will stand before God and we will give an account and, and we will give an account where we are inspected and how he expected us to live will, will be sort of inspected and, and, and see how that shakes down. For example, our, our accountability will give an account for how it is that we spent our time because he gave us the gift of time and so we'll give an account for how we spent it. We'll give an account for how we treated our relationships because our relationships are a gift from God to us. And so we'll give an account how we stewarded those relationships. We'll give an account for how we spent our money because financial resource is a blessing and a gift from God. And so we'll give an account. This is how I stewarded this financial resource. And so there'll be this account given. And again, I hope this is not news to anyone because this is just a part of what it looks like to be on this faith journey. By the way, giving an account is not just for Christians. Everyone is going to stand before God and give an account. The good news for Christians is Jesus is going to be with us in that moment. And so I hope that for those of you who are in Christ, those of you who are trusting Christ and walking with the Lord, you need to know that he is your advocate, that there is actually only reward and blessing awaiting for you when you give an account. That's the, the reality. Why? Because why is there no judgment? Because Jesus himself has taken the judgment. There's no judgment for those that are in Christ. Why? Because Jesus said, I, I take that from you. I'll receive that from you. There's no judgment, right? There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's Romans 8.1. And so just understand that when you and I, when we look ahead to the inspection, yeah, we want to do well. Yeah, we want to spend this life well. We want to invest our, our time and our resources, our relationships well, because we want that account to be a, a, a good experience. But here's the deal. Even if we fall short, and, and in many ways we will, here's the good news. This is what it says in the scripture, 1 John 2.1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Right? Obviously, that's the goal. That's what we're striving together for. But listen, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we are not condemned, but we, we are advocated for by Jesus himself. Right? So that's the good news. That's what all of this reminds us of. So that's the accountability, the inspection there. The next fill-in is the Day of Atonement, which signifies reconciliation. Reconciliation between those in covenant with God, right? The, a sinful people to a holy God are being reconciled. And that's being celebrated in this Day of Atonement. You might have heard this before as Yom Kippur. This is Yom Kippur. And it's, it's found in Leviticus 16, 1 through 34, and Numbers 29, 7 through 11. This is a day of rest, a day of fasting, a day of sacrifices for priests to cleanse people, priests, and kings from sins and to purify the holy place. And if you'd like to know what at atonement means, you might just want to write in the margin somewhere, at one meant. Atonement means at one meant. It means that we are reconciled with God. We are joined with God. We are connected with God, grafted in to God, brought together with God. 
2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So reconciliation is for those of us in the new covenant as well. So at one meant we are reconciled with Christ. The next fill-in is the last of the feasts we'll talk about. This is the Feast of Tabernacles, and it celebrates God present with. God present with. That's bad grammar, but good theology. God present with. He's present with his people now, as well as looking forward to the coming Messiah. This is in Leviticus 23, 33 through 38, or Deuteronomy 16, 13 through 15. By the way, there are many more verses in all the scriptures about all these uh, feasts, but I'm just giving you a couple that you can do more study with. Uh, This was a week of celebration for the fruit harvest of the grapes and the olives, where people would live in tents or shelters or booths, and they would memorialize the giving of the tabernacle from God to them, as well as giving thanks for the productivity of the land, for the, for the harvest of the fruit and of the olive. Now, what's interesting to me, some of you know John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, we read, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaking of Jesus coming, that's the incarnation as he comes to dwell among us. But that word can also be translated tabernacled among us that he comes and he dwelt in tents he he comes and he shares a tabernacle with us and what is so interesting to me theologically is that in Christ when we trust our lives to him and we trust his work on the cross on our behalf when we enter into the stream of faith the bible says that the holy spirit of god comes and dwells within us which means that we are now tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. So it's just this amazing and beautiful concept of tabernacling together, this feast of tents or tabernacles, and then we are now the tabernacles of God's Holy Spirit. Okay, so just like the four levels of pos that God gave as gifts to his people, right, Selah, Sabbath, Sabbath year, and Jubilee, So God has graciously given his people these celebrations. And he graciously gives his people these celebrations so that we don't miss some things. And so here's what I want. This is where I think it gets super practical for us. Because we're no longer living under law. We no longer have to celebrate exactly uh, the, the feast, the way that God gave ancient Israel to celebrate these feasts. But there are lessons that he wants us to memorialize in our own lives. So here it is, if you're filling in the blanks. These celebrations help God's people honor an aspect of God's character, provision, and redemption. These celebrations are theologically rich in order for us to honor an aspect of his character, his provision, and his redemption. And what's interesting about us and the human nature that we have so often is that a lot of our life is spent honoring ourselves, 
and honoring our own character and honoring our own provision, honoring our own cleverness, our own strength, our own accomplishment, right? Honoring what we're able to achieve in this life. And so, so often, and this is just, you know, this is the human conundrum. So often it just becomes a, a kind of revolving around self all the time. And so God in his graciousness gives us these kinds of celebrations. Why? So that we remember, oh, God is the source of all of this. Oh, we can honor God because it's all coming from him in the first place. You see, this verse in James chapter 1 is so powerful. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting Shadows. I want you to circle the word every. Every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift. And so, you know, maybe when this gets like super practical on us as a people, as a family overlay, maybe what this looks like is, you know, God has given our yearly calendar already a handful of celebrations. And so, you know, let, let's just take Thanksgiving, for example. Thanksgiving should just be a slam dunk focus on the fact that all of this bounty comes straight from his hand. Does that make sense? I mean, it's literally a day where the whole nation gathers together and it should be, Lord, thank you. Because this feast we're about to have, it's representative of every single time you provide us food. This opportunity to be together, it's representative of all of the relationships you've provided. All of the ways there's joy and love and harmony in our family. Right? You're, you're, you're trying to say, hey, this is a snapshot of how every good and perfect gift flows straight from your hand to us. But what is it often about? Often it's about how difficult it is to pull off such a feast and such a banquet and how the preparation has to start days early and how much money it costs to get everything and to provide all of that stuff. And I'm talking about the people who are in the kitchen preparing. I'm not talking about the people who just have their feet up watching football all day, not caring at all about that, right? So you see that there's, there's all this other stuff that we get focused on when instead it's just a perfect opportunity to bring Jesus front and center. I would even say, and I don't mean this to be especially convicting to anyone, I'm, I'm a part of this same problem, but, but I think Christmas is, is where we are the most at fault. Because Christmas should be such a crystal clear focus on the incarnation of the God of the universe who has come near and who has been born as a tiny child in a stable, bless you, to a teenager in poverty, like, like there, there, just, there just should be such a focus on this amazing God who has come humbly to be available to all of us. And what is it often about? It's often about shopping lists and budgets and Black Fridays and parties to get to and meals to make and, and just did I get the right thing for the person who already has everything? And, and it just gets so convoluted and what a great opportunity. For us to remember that we have this chance in all of our celebrations to bring Jesus Christ front and center. Amen. And then let me just make it more practically and to kind of tie in last week as well. 
you know, we are not under law, so Sabbath is not something that we have to legalistically perform. And yet we have a gift God gives us every Sunday morning to gather together as a, a corporate body. Where we proclaim his name and we lift him high. And we remember who we are in him. Right? And so I, I just want to say to you, this fall, if I could bring this challenge, why don't we elevate our time together on Sundays? Why don't we prioritize this in our weeks? Why don't we make sure that this is the one thing that we build the rest of the week around instead of, oh, maybe if I'm not too tired or maybe if the kids don't have a soccer game or maybe if whatever, and we just say, this is what we're going to do. Can I get an amen? Are you guys with me? Yeah. I know it's weird. I know it's weird. I know it's weird because I'm a pastor who's trying to make you cheer about coming to church. Like, I get it. But I'm thankful for you, and I love being on this journey with you. So we want to honor an aspect of God's character, his provision, his redemption. And then the next fill-in here, the second thing these celebrations help God's people do is live their identity as God's children. They remind us that we are the sons and daughters of God most high. And the Israelites knew their identity, right? They knew their specialness. They were the special possession of God most high. They were the nation in covenant relationship with Yahweh. And we know because of Jesus and his work on the cross that we are God's children. Romans 8.16 says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Do you want to circle that phrase for me? Just circle that. Don't forget it. We are God's children. Because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, because of our faith and his good work, not our good work, but his good work, we are his. We cry out, Abba, Father, that's in Romans 8. And we need several reminders of our true identity. Because everything in this fallen world and in the cultural air we breathe tries to convince us that we are on our own. But friends, we are never on our own. We are never left alone because we are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And He is with us and He is for us. And that brings me to the last point here. Celebrations help us work out the muscle called memory. They help us work out the muscle called memory. And let me just say, because we forget all the time. And I want to say to you, the older I get, the worse this is. Okay? Amen, sister. All right. In fact, I was talking about this this week. My buddy Lee was telling me that occasionally there'll be something that happens in his life where he just knows, I can't forget this, right? I've got to do this task or I've got to communicate this. So to remember, he'll pull out his phone and he'll send himself a text message. And then he'll hit send and he'll put his phone back in his pocket. A couple of seconds later, his phone will ding. He'll be like, ding. Oh, I wonder who's texting me. And he'll pull it out and read the text that he just sent to himself that he forgot he sent not even a second ago. Now, I don't judge him at all because I am worse than that, okay? In fact, I found something. My friend Julie Olson posted this on Facebook. It says, my ability to remember song lyrics from the 80s far exceeds my ability to remember why I walked into the kitchen. And I would, I would argue again, this is one of the reasons why the scripture says let us not give up meeting together. Why? Because we need the reminder. 
We need the reminder that we are family together. We need the reminder that Jesus is Lord. We need the reminder, oh yeah, this is what I'm about. This is my identity. These are my priorities. This is what being a part of the kingdom of God looks like. We need the reminder. Friends, this is why we need to go on date nights with our spouse. This is why we wear a wedding ring. Why? It's just like, oh, oh yeah, oh, that's who I am, right? Oh, I, oh yeah, that's whose I am, right? Like I am off the market. Not that that even matters to anyone, but the, the idea, spiritually speaking, you're off the market, right? Like you've made a commitment. You're in and you're the Lord's and he is yours and you're his son and daughter. And, and so that's why... Again and again and again in scripture, we are called by God to remember, to remember. Jesus says, remember this. I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. Jesus says, do this. When you take the bread, you take the cup, do this to remember me. So we're called to remember because the Lord knows that the memory problem is on our side of the equation, right? We're the ones who struggle with memory in this. Jesus' memory is crystal clear. Jesus will never forget you. Jesus will always love you. He will always be with you. The problem with memory is our side of the equation. So you look at the Lord's side of the equation, Isaiah 49, 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? And this is a little rhetorical because obviously a mother's love has always and will always be this beautiful thing. Of course a mom's not going to forget her child. Of course a mom's going to love her baby. Like that's, like the idea is of course there's going to be incredible love and remembrance here. And then the scripture goes on. The Lord says, though she may forget, that might happen, I will not forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hand. And what has Jesus done for us? He's engraved us on the palms of his hands. When he allowed himself to be stretched out on a Roman tree, when he allowed the people to take spikes and drill them into his hands, pierce his feet, thrust a, a, a spear in his side, when, when he allowed himself to be degraded and mocked and have the beard ripped from his face, punched and spit upon, they thrust that crown of thorns down on his head, mocked him for being a king. He, he went through all of that because he remembers you and he remembers me. And he has not and he will never forget you. So I want you just to kind of think about these celebrations that we've blazed through. And it's just a very cursory kind of a view as to these seven different feasts. And then I want you to look back over your notes and to see what each of them signified. And right now, if you don't take notes, you should feel just a tiny, tiny conviction of the Holy Spirit right now over your life. <laughs> but here, here, are, here are the points. As you look back over these feasts representing deliverance and sanctification and covenant, and freedom, and God present with, and reconciliation, and accountability, or inspection, and you look over all these things, and doesn't it just seem like Jesus is the one who provides all of these things? 
See, like I know in church, Jesus is the answer to just about any question that we ask, but, but doesn't it seem to you like even the reason why God gave his people these feasts as a way to look ahead and to point forward to that point, that time and in, in, in point in, in, in the story where Jesus himself would come as the culmination and the provider of all of these things for us. It's just a beautiful, beautiful reality. And even the idea of the law being in place so that the Israelites had to fulfill the law by celebrating these feasts. And why is it that we don't have to fulfill those exact feasts in the exact same way? It's because Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He is the full satisfaction of all of the law. And so he has changed everything. And in him, now we have ultimate freedom. And we are actually reckoned not as holy people because of the law. We're reckoned as holy people because of our faith in the good work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. That's why Jesus is at the very, very center of all these things. And so here's what I want to do, Overlake. I, I, I just want us to have a time where we celebrate who Jesus is. And we take these next few moments and we bring Jesus down to the very, very center of our lives. That we say, Jesus, you are the Lord. And we confess that you are our Savior. But what we want to do is we want to live into your Lordship today. We want to grab hold of you and walk with you and remember who we are as your sons and your daughters. Because, and I hope you don't miss this. This is where I'm, I'll land this, this whole thing right here. God has given his people a gift of pause. But today, Jesus is our Selah and our Sabbath rest. God has given his people the gift of celebration. But today, Jesus is our Rosh Hashanah and our Passover and our Yom Kippur. God has given his people all these gifts. And we proclaim today that Jesus is our Jubilee. Amen? Amen. Okay. So why don't you stand up right now and let me lead us in prayer, and then we are going to celebrate who he is. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we just want to continue in this vein where we recognize before you that you are our deliverer, you are our sanctifier, that you are the reason that we have covenant with God a covenant of love that is unbreakable, that is never ending, a covenant that starts in this lifetime and lasts for eternity. We wanna thank you that you are not only accountability, but you are our advocate as we are inspected by the one true God. We wanna thank you that you are God with us. And we celebrate your presence with us today. We lift your name high. We declare that everything you say about us is the most true thing there is. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, and Jesus, all the celebration goes to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.